You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit hbcyr.ca. If that tired you out and you thought, what was that? Well, you keep coming back over the next eight weeks as we uh, take a look at this theme of redemption and all that God has done. See, the reality of my salvation is that my part is so simple. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. It's a matter of faith. But the working of God in this is vast. And that's what we want to look at uh, throughout the rest of our summer as we get together week after week and considering the work of redemption so simple in how we receive it and yet so amazing in what God has actually done and accomplished for us. So get your Bibles out and uh, get them open up to Romans chapter 8. I know that if you've been around here, they just naturally flip open to Matthew, uh, but we're done that series, and now starting a new series, you're going to wear out another few sections of your Bible as we consider this whole topic of redemption, and today how God did this work for us as a bit of an overview, Um, and uh, then we're going to dive in, as I said, each week right throughout the summer, considering more and more uh, what God has done. So Romans chapter 8, where we're going to use really to launch today, a little bit more of a topical message to introduce the series, Um, but uh, so get your pen out as well, Uh, get your sermon notes out, there'll be lots of references to write down, uh, because it really matters very little what I think about these things, it matters what God said about these things, and that's where we want to be founded in all of it. So the text, the jump off text. Next verse today is Romans chapter 8. Let's stand together. We want to honor God as we read his word. Here's what it says, Romans 8, starting in verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Let's pray together. Father, uh, this is your word. The truths that we have just read are overwhelming to us. And as we take the truths that we see in Romans 8 and add to it so many of the other parts of of your redemptive work in our lives, Father, we trust that you would uh, bring us to a, a sense of how awesome you are and how blessed we are by what you have done. Lord, I pray that you would give us ears to hear your word today, minds to understand it, and, and then God, hearts that would passionately respond to who you are and what you've done for us. Take your word and do in this place what only you can do, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you. You can take your seats. As I said, we're going to take a a little bit of time to set the table today, and then the rest of the series is going to play out throughout the rest of the summer. You know, the the doctrinal name for what we really want to take a look at in general is the the topic of soteriology, Um, and that's a nice word. It's a good theological word, but the reality is if you know the word but have never experienced what it means, you have missed out on everything. And uh, soteriology is really the doctrine or the teaching or the, the, uh, the way 
way that God brought salvation to us. And uh, there are lots of uh, different ways that uh, you can look at it. There's different scopes of this. And so um, there's this many-sided object. You can look at it. I'll give you three ways that the Bible clearly lays out. We can take a look at what God has accomplished in taking us from our sin separated from him and bringing us to a place of righteousness. You can, you can look at it through the idea of the word salvation. Um, in Acts 4, verse 12, it says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, this is the idea, if you look at salvation, as, as being a rescue and how God has rescued us. Uh, many years ago, I was the waterfront director at a camp, and, and one evening I was going down to the waterfront to make sure everything was locked up and uh, put away. The, the camp was on a river, and uh, as I went down, I um, was walking out towards the dock where the canoes are, and um, there was a guy who tried to swim across the river, and he made it part way, and realized he wasn't going to make it. And I guess saw me, but cried out, Help! I grabbed a life jacket and I swam out and I gave it to him and we pulled him in and I rescued him. Um, that's that picture of salvation, a picture of where we need to be rescued and, and God rescues us. It's also found in Romans 1.16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation, to rescue us, to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You can look at it through that lens. That's a very fair and a right lens. You could look at it through the lens of reconciliation. This is the idea that a relationship has been destroyed and it needs to be made right. Um, and so God, in his working, restores the broken relationship. Uh, Romans 5.10, for while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. The picture of, of salvation through the, the lens of being restored. Uh, Colossians 1, 19 to 22, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So the picture of rescue, the picture of restoration, or the lens we're really going to take a look through this is through uh, the, the, the lens of redemption. The lens of redemption. It's the, idea of pay, the idea of paying a ransom where something is bought back or is, is paid for. And the deliverance at a payment of great price. A purchasing. Um, Ephesians 1.7 says, in him we have redemption. We've been bought back through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. Romans 8.24-26, to and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Or 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, knowing that you were ransomed, you were bought back, you were paid for from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious, the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Or 1 Corinthians 6.20, for you were bought. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your 
body. So as we look at this topic of soteriology and we take a look at the implications of it this summer, there are different lenses you could see it through. That lens of I've been rescued. That lens I have been restored. That lens that I have been bought back. They're all beautiful pictures of what God has done and what he's accomplished for it. So to kind of set the setting for all of this, we want to look at four major things today. Here's the first one. Man has a huge problem. Man has a huge problem. We want to talk about five barriers today uh, to this huge problem that man has. Um, the first barrier is the sin of man. The sin of man. I'm going to spend a little extra time on this one. The other ones we'll go more quickly through. We're going to see them throughout the series. But man has a huge problem. And the first barrier that we see is the barrier of sin. When you see that through kind of three quick pictures, there's this picture of original sin. Um, it's Adam's sin, and because Adam's sin, we sin. Um, Ephesians 2, 1 to 3, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walk, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desire of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of, la- of wrath, like the rest, like the rest, of mankind. We're all sinners. We're all sinners. Anybody in the room who has children understands you never had to give them a course on how to be disobedient. They just figured that out all on their own. They learned to be abrupt. They learned to be rude. They learned to say no. They learned all those things because it's in them already. It's in them already. Baby dedication we had today. Little Carter Innocent little child, cute little kid. He's a sinner. Just as I am, you are. All have sinned. And, um, and so we have this idea of original sin, and this is the idea that um, it's in us, it's inherent. We are, we are morally ruined in our character because of the fall of Adam because of original sin. So our sinful hearts cause us to make sinful choices, uh, think sinful thoughts, and feel sinful feelings. Uh, We actually sin. It is in us. We're not only sinners because we sin, but rather we sin because we're already sinners. And that's one of the realities, that's one of the, the truths of this, that we have a huge problem. We sin. We sin. But not only that, not only do we have original sin, but we have what, what, what the theologians call imputed sin. It's not just that we sin, but the reality is the charge of what happened to Adam is placed on us. He was guilty. We are guilty. Now, that was God's design. That was God's choice. That's what God did. And so his sin is put on us as well. Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all have sinned. Not only have we inherited sin, but we have imputed sin, the reality of That judgment is on us because of Adam's sin. But here's the third one. We talk about this sin. We have individual or personal sin. And I would hope I don't have to try and convince anybody in the room, but maybe you think you're sinless. Just talk to the person who you came with. They'll fix that for you in a big hurry. Um, There's nobody righteous, not even one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're we're all sinners. We all sin. Um, 
That's why John 1 says, uh, if we confess our sin. Why? Because we have sin. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all and all kinds of unrighteousness. So man has this big problem, and this big problem is, is sin. That's the first barrier, but the, the problem goes far further than that. So on this one hand, I'm over here because of my sin. Barrier number one. Barrier number two is the holiness of God. And God's over here, and he doesn't have any of those things. He, none of those things describe who he is. He is, and we're going to see, we're going to spend some time in this this morning. He's, he's a one of great character and truth and all the rest. And so this gulf between where I find myself and who God is, is a barrier. So we have the barrier of our sin, and we have the barrier of the holiness of God. And then we have the, the barrier that comes out of that, the penalty of sin, the penalty of sin is that we're dead. Ephesians 2 says we are dead in our trespasses and sins. And we can't fix this problem. This huge problem I have is I'm over here. God is way over here. And I'm dead. I'm dead. Spiritual death is the fourth barrier that comes out of the penalty of sin. Spiritual death. And unrighteousness is the fifth thing. I'm unrighteous. Uh, the best I can do is like filthy rags and compared to who God is. And so we find ourselves with this massive, huge problem. And we can't change it. And we can't fix it. Man has a huge problem. Here's the second thing. God has an awesome character. This is really just to help us understand even greater what God has done in all of this. But we have this huge problem, and God has this awesome, awesome character. In the next two weeks in this series, we're going to take a look at God in the context of, first of all, in his story, and then we're going to take a look at him in the context of his glory. Um, it's been an interesting week for me. been a tough week. Not a tough week as far as the church here goes. It's been a great week. Not a tough week with my wife. She's amazing and I'm so thankful for her. Just some other circumstances that we've been kind of working our way through and, and uh, this next part of the message was for me this week. As I studied this, it was just get back and look at who God is. Get back and get a focus on what God has done. Look at, look at him and his, his story. Look at him and his glory. And so, so um, as we think about his awesome character, you can do that lots of ways. But you can take a look at him, in, first of all, in the story that God has done as he plans out this plan of redemption for us. And you can take a look at it in the fact that God was the creator and is the creator of all things. And, and then we have this failure of man in sin and the fall of man and and then God, um, he, he, he brings the law so that we would be able to understand better. The law, the law really re just really demonstrates for people how short we fall and how we really can never attain what God has done. And so as God weaves this story after the uh, fall of man and the law is laid down, the prophets come and the judgments come. And, and then God, as he's weaving this story, he, he comes to Jesus Christ and we have the incarnation of Jesus. A God became flesh and dwelt among us. And Jesus comes and he lives the perfect example of the life in front of us for us to see. And, and then um, a man takes him and crucifies him. And Christ becomes the sacrifice for us as God is weaving this story. And Jesus' resurrection, he is God, raised from the dead. And then we see Jesus as the one who intercedes on our behalf, the head of the church. And 
And we look forward to the return of Jesus Christ. See, as you think about God and his character, when you think about how awesome he is and you can see it in the story of scripture, we also can see it in his attributes, the things that describe God. Um, this was the part that was really helpful for me just to get back focused on, oh, look at the Lord, look at the Lord, look at the Lord, look what he's done. And two ways we see his attributes today. First of all, the incommunicable attributes of God. Okay, Pastor Paul, what's that? Uh, those are the attributes that belong to God alone. Incommunicable attributes of God are the ones that are his. You don't have any of these. You can't have any of these. Now, these belong to God. And again, I'm not going to worry working about an exhaustive study of this. This is a, a flyover for us to understand. But some of those are the reality of his immutability. That means that God doesn't change. God doesn't change in any way. Poor Sue, she puts up with me every week. I change my mind more often than I change my socks. And so there's this changing that's always going on for us. And yet God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's immutable. He's infinite. God is without measure or limit in scope or duration. God is omnipotent. You're not omnipotent. Your kids for a while might think you are. They figure it out pretty quick. You aren't. You're not omnipotent. God is capable of performing anything that he desires to do. Anything that can be done, God can do. He's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. God is in all places and all dimensions simultaneously. God is not just with us as we worship here. He's in the church up the street where they're worshiping. He's in the house around the block. God is omnipresent. God is omniscient. I love this one. God has perfect and complete knowledge. You ready? God never learns anything. I'm like Google searching everything. God never Google searches anything. He knows it all. There's no surprises to him. He's omniscient. He never forgets anything either. Never forgets the promises he makes. Never forgets anything. I um, sadly admit I'm getting a little bit older and from time to time find myself forgetting some things. And uh, we had an experience of it this week in our, in our lives. Sue and I are going away for a couple days. We decided we would rent a car to go away. And uh, so on Friday at four o'clock, we went and picked up the car. And uh, so I was going to get it. She left to do what she was going to do. And I was going home. And uh, I got home, I pulled in the driveway, and I have the uh, key for the rental car, and um, I put it in my pocket, and I went up to the garage door, and I flipped up the pad. Oh, what's the number? Three, it's none of your business what the number is for our phone, but I couldn't remember what it was. And so I text Sue, what's the number for the garage door? Why do you need to know? I can't get in the house. She said, why don't you use your keys? And at first I want to go, are you an idiot? Of course I don't have my keys. I didn't say any of that. Those were things in my head that didn't come out. And, uh, and so she goes, um, how did you lock the door when we left home? I put my hand back in my pocket and I pulled out my key and the second set of car keys I had as well, which had the uh, house key on it. 
And uh, there I am standing out there. I can't, don't remember the numbers. I, she gave me the number. Um, I actually wrote it down on the frame around our garage door, thinking, no criminal's going to look there, to which she said, are we just inviting people in to eat all of our food and everything? So I got the eraser out, and I took it and rubbed it off, and it's like, see, here's the thing. Here's the thing. God never learns anything. He already knows it all. And he never forgets anything. He doesn't forget. It's not like, oh man, I'm supposed to do that for those people. I forgot, I forgot, I forgot. He's omniscient. He's self-sufficient. He's self-existent. He's sovereign. God is a supreme being who answers to no one, who has the absolute right to do with his creation whatever he desires to do. He's unique. God alone is unique in his uniqueness. There's none like him. He is completely other than all the things that exist. Those are the, some of the incommunicable attributes of God. You can't have any of those. Those are his. But then there are the communicable attributes of God. The communicable attributes of God are the ones that we are supposed to emulate in our lives. We're supposed to be working at these as, as we are being sanctified in Christ, as we are growing up in the Lord. And, and these are some of the things that we need to be going after in our lives. And um, they include things like holiness, our lives are to be patterned after God in holiness. The Bible says, be holy as I am holy. Now, I'm not going to attain that on this side of heaven, but I need to be growing up in my faith. That word holiness means to be separate. It means to be sanctified. And, and that's what we're to be going after. As God's children, understanding how vastly far away from him we were in our sin. But then when we are in Christ, these are the things that we go after in our lives. And one of them is that we would be holy. We would desire to be like God. Uh, we won't be able to do it perfectly, but we're called to do it. Um, goodness, God is perfectly good. We are never perfectly good. People think they do good things, but um, we don't, we, our motives are always suspect and our decisions and our priorities, but God is always perfectly good and, and we are told to follow and mimic that. Uh, here's one that you maybe have never thought about. We're supposed to hate. God hates. Hate is an attribute of God. God hates sin. He hates unrighteousness. See, we get it all wrong. We hate our neighbor, and we hate, and we hate, and we hate. And No, no, we need to hate sin. Uh, we should hate the sin of other people. But we should start by hating our own sin. And how God feels about your sin is how you should feel about your sin. And God calls us to mimic him, emulate him, in how we hate we're not to be haters, not in the sense of the way that we are, the people on the right are portrayed by the politics of our day. We're not talking about that, but we hate the things that God hates. Uh, here's another one. We are to be people of justice. Um, here's some more. We're to be people who love and show mercy and grace just like, like God does. 
perfectly. We never will do it perfectly on this side. We're learning and we're growing in those things. But when we understand the character of God and how incredible his character is, we need to be loving people, loving, not expecting in return, filled with grace, filled with mercy, not getting what we deserve and getting what we don't deserve. And we need best we can to be demonstrating those things in our world as well. Uh, People of love and mercy and grace. Um, Here's another uh, attribute of God I find interesting, and that is uh, the ability of speech. God speaks. Uh, God spoke, and the world was formed. Okay, I'm pretty sure I don't have that kind of power. But I do have the power of the tongue. And as God speaks and communicates, we are to speak and communicate, and best we can, as we grow up trusting the Lord, uh, we are to use our tongues for the glory of God. God is filled with truth, and God is filled with wisdom. Um, People are capable of expressing wisdom, which is proper use of knowledge, but um, God produces wisdom perfectly, and we are to be growing in it. You see, man has a huge problem. These barriers that have separated us from him, and and God, uh, God has an awesome character, But what those things really do is just demonstrate why this plan of redemption is so absolutely necessary and critical. And that's the next point, that God has an amazing plan. God has an amazing plan. Um, I love this verse in Jeremiah 1, 4 to 5. Jeremiah is being called by God and um, he's being called to do a hard, hard thing. Um, I've never been called to do the thing Jeremiah has been called to do. God called him to it. And, but here's what God said to him. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, uh, Jeremiah 1, 4 and 5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. See, I think we, we sometimes get the idea like I showed up at church and maybe God's surprised I was here today. Um, He knew. He knows. He's God. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's everywhere. He doesn't make you sin. You sin on your own. But in the midst of all who God is, he understands all of that. And there aren't surprises to him. And so as he's calling Jeremiah, he says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew all about you. And that truth that was true of Jeremiah is true for all of us. And this plan of God doesn't start when all of a sudden Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. It's like, oh no, what am I going to do? God knew from before the foundation of the world. God had it all figured out and his plan is being revealed. There's a great picture of it in Ephesians chapter 1. Flip over there. Keep your fingers in Romans. We're going to read that again. But uh, Ephesians chapter 1. And listen to what Paul says as he lays out this plan. As he lays out God's working. As we see redemption. God's amazing. God's gracious. God's powerful plan. Ephesians 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him. You did not choose me, but I chose you, the Bible says. Before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us 
for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his gracious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved, in whom, in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and all insight, making known to us the, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fulfillment for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. God has an amazing plan. I am over here. I can't fix the problem. God is over here in his justice, awesome, his character, and we're stuck. We are dead. We need to be saved. We need to be reconciled and God is doing this work and that's our study for this summer that's what we want to look at we want to be overwhelmed as we consider what God has done for the person in the room who's never trusted Christ I want you to see what Christ has done what he's accomplished for you that he offers as a free gift for the person in the room who's a believer I want us to be overwhelmed by God's goodness and his faithfulness the working that brought you salvation and is keeping you and he's going to take you to glory that's what we want to be about that's what we want to see. We want to be humbled in it. Back to our passage in Romans 8. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among the brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also, he also glorified. God has done this work. He's done it decently. He's done it in order. He's done it so that we can have eternal life and the journey for us seems so simple of what we're called to do. But the working of God in Christ in our salvation is so immense. It's a massive work rooted in God's character. The things we want to take a look at as we go through the summer, we want to talk about the foreknowledge of God before the foundation of the world. We want to talk about the fact that he chose us we want to talk about the fact that we are elected. People are like, whoa, we're control freaks in our society. We want everything on our terms. It's like, that's, there's no way. There's no way. What do you mean God chose me? God didn't choose somebody? What do you mean? What do you mean? We're going to look at God's word. We're going to see what that means. The foreknowledge of God. Chosen of God. Elected by God. Predestined by him. Called by him. Remember, you're dead. You're dead. You don't want to go after God. You're called by God. You are regenerated by God. He makes you alive. You come to that place of your conversion when you do the peace that you do. I believe. I believe. And then as that point comes, we are then justified. We're through that transaction. We are made just as if we never sinned. And all of your sin, all of it, past, present, future, we'll see it in a minute, all of it is put on Jesus Christ and his righteousness is put on you. What an amazing, what an amazing work of God in your redemption. I'm justified and then I'm adopted. We're all a bunch of little orphans. It's another picture. We're a bunch of little orphans. And then Jesus saves us. And we're adopted into God's family. That's a cool story. 
and then we're sanctified. We tend to think about sanctification as the thing that we do after we're saved to be more like Jesus Christ. Becoming holy. And there is. That's a big part of that is us. It's a big part of it that we do. But God is leading in the sanctifying work in your life. It's also a work of God in your salvation, in your redemption. It's the way God has worked. And and we persevere in what God's called us to, but he is sanctifying us and conforming us to the image of Jesus Christ. And then we look forward one day to being glorified, to being with him in heaven forever. That is God's amazing plan. So man has a huge problem. God has an awesome character. God has an amazing plan. Man has an eternal hope. That's the last thing we want to see today. Man has an eternal hope. An eternal hope. In eternal hope, we think about our salvation. Um, and this, the idea of this past tense. Um, think about your sin. When you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, everyone in the room who's trusted Christ as their Savior, you put your trust in Christ. All of the sin, gone. God's taking care of it. It's all gone. And so we have that picture of salvation, past tense. We have the picture of ongoing growth, not being saved, but working out our salvation and our sin today. Our sin today. And we come to the Lord and we confess our sin and he forgives our sin because our sin in the past is forgiven. Our sin in the present is forgiven. And our sin in the future is forgiven because the work of God didn't just accomplish barely enough. It accomplished everything that needed to be accomplished. And we have an eternal hope. And we have that because of the work of Jesus Christ. We call it the gospel. We call it the good news. We talk about all this work that Christ has done. How he came. He paid a price we couldn't pay. He suffered our place. He covered my sin. He hung on a cross for me. He shed his blood to satisfy the wrath of God Almighty. And then he offered it all to me as a gift. He did it all. And all I ever did was believe. That's amazing. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, that offer is for you today. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. I get it, Pastor. I get it. I'm that guy over there and God's over here and I can't get this fixed. I can't solve this problem. And Jesus came and he solved it for me. And all I have to do is I believe if you've never trusted Christ, this is the day. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. The barriers are removed. You'll be declared righteous. We are made holy and are being made holy. We look forward to great hope, to the eternal blessing because we've been redeemed. As part of the message, I want you to listen to this song. In light of what you've just heard, Listen to this song and let these words flow over you as you consider what you've heard today.
rescued. I'm reconciled. The relationship is restored. I'm redeemed. The price has been paid. Well, so what? So what? 
Revelation 5.9 says, and they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed, you redeemed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. The agent of our redemption is Jesus Christ. Back to Ephesians 1.7, in him. In Jesus Christ, we have redemption. He is the agent of our redemption. Well, what's the instrument of our redemption? In him, we have redemption through his blood. I'm redeemed by the work of Christ through his shed blood. The object of the redemption is me in my sinfulness, in my separation, in this massive gulf. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, the sins that were imputed on us, the sins that are inherent in us, the sins that we continue to, com- to, we continue to commit, or they're covered under the blood of Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. That's the results of redemption. My sin is forgiven. The bondage of sin and law has been delivered. It provides the basis for my justification. It provides the basis for my adoption as a son of God. It provides the basis for my eternal inheritance. And it provides the basis for my capacity to truly glorify God. I am redeemed. He has done the work I could not do. He solved the problem of this massive, huge gulf. And Jesus Christ did it. And he did it for us. And this summer, we're going to journey through these great truths. We're going to unpack them and better better to be able to grasp the unfolding plan of God by which he accomplished the salvation of mankind. And all I can say is, go, Lord. You are awesome. Let's pray. Lord, this is your word. We thank you for the truths we've heard today. And Lord, as you uh, prepare us for what we'll hear this summer, as we look at you and who you are and the story and your glory, and then we look through some of these amazing truths that we will see in this picture of regeneration. God, give us ears to hear your word. God, I I pray for the person who's in the room today who's never trusted Christ, that they'll have heard this word and understand the gulf that separates. God, if that's not fixed, they're going to spend eternity separated from you in hell. But you did it all for us, and we just receive. Give them the faith to trust today and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. But God, for the rest of us in the room, me first, God, would you give us hearts to look and see this redemptive work you've done and how awesome it is and be changed as a result of it? Bring us, God, to our knees as we see the glory of who you are and what you've done as we remember how faithful you have been and how so many times we are unfaithful, Lord. As we consider this work you have done, God, would you draw us closer, closer in our walk with you, rejoicing in your work. Do this for your glory in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.